Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 432 with Greg Bustin. Greg is talking about decision-making, and he is talking from experience, not just his, but those throughout all of history. So you'll learn, one, two things you need when making a decision, two, the seven Fs tool that can help you decide what you really want, and three, how to fight cognitive bias. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F432. Now, here's cool stuff about Greg. For more than two decades, Greg has been skillfully counseling a diverse roster of innovative companies. He's a trusted advisor to savvy CEOs and key leaders steering three executive groups and providing one-on-one coaching as a master chair for Vistage International, the world's largest CEO organization. Organizations around the world invite Greg to conduct private workshops and deliver thought-provoking keynote addresses on leadership, strategy, decision-making, conflict resolution, and workplace accountability. He's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Barron's Financial Executive, and many more places. So thanks to Greg for spending some time with us and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no, no. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Greg. Greg, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thank you, Pete. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm glad to have you. And I think the first thing we need to hear about is your drumming career. (laughs) Well, it started at an early age. I probably started on pots and pans like most drummers and then uh, got a little drum set when I was uh, six. And uh, I was in a marching band, uh, an orchestra, a jazz band, a rock band. I've kind of done it all. Now I pretty much just play the steering wheel. Uh huh. <laughs> well, uh, safely, I assume. Oh, oh yeah, both hands on the wheel in the ten and two <laughs> positions, right? That's good. That's good. Cool. Well, so I want to hear about your book, How Leaders Decide. I like the format in terms of all the different stories, but I guess I'd like to start with a bang. What's maybe the most surprising and fascinating discovery you made when you were putting together the book? Well, I ended up looking at more than 25,000 events, and and you go, how do you you get it down to 52? Because the format of the book, as you alluded to, it's really bite-sized chapters because the leaders that I work with like them in that kind of, hey, I can read this in 10 minutes and uh, reflect, and uh, I can either put it down or keep going. So how did I get it down to 52? And of the 52, what's the one you want to know about? I think the one that's most surprising to me is the story story of Mary Edwards Walker. She is the only female recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Hmm. So 3,522 recipients, and she is still the only female ever to be awarded this honor.
Honor, which is uh, the military's highest honor for bravery. And her story of bravery and courage and sacrifice took a lot of twists and turns, starting with the fact that as a woman in the 1850s, she wanted to pursue a career as a doctor. And, and, you know, she was told all the reasons why that wouldn't happen. Her parents were very encouraging, and she actually uh, became one of the first women to graduate from medical school. And about the time she graduated, Civil War was breaking out and she wanted to volunteer. And she was turned down, not really because of her capability, but because of her gender. And uh, ultimately, her persistence and her desire to serve landed her a position first behind the fighting, and then ultimately she was placed on the, the battlefield. And from there, she even volunteered to become a spy for the North and uh, went on some some spying missions in uh, Georgia. And so uh, she was awarded that in uh, 1864. So as the war was nearing its end, she was awarded that. And it can only be awarded by presidents. So she made it through all the naysayers, all the bureaucracy, all the, the males, and eventually was awarded that. It was taken away from her. And it actually was was reinstated by President Jimmy Carter. So almost a hundred years lapsed between, or more than a hundred years between her receiving it, having it taken away, and then having it reinstated. And to this day, as I say, she is the only female Congressional Medal of Honor recipient. And I, I knew nothing about her. I just stumbled into it as I was researching the book. Well, that is indeed surprising and fascinating. I did not know this, and now I do. So, well, well now since we're all teed up about this person and the story, what's sort of the leadership decision-making takeaway from that one? Well, I think it's in multiple parts. First, she did not care who got the credit. And so that she was really driven just by the desire to serve her country and help her fellow human beings. I think it's also obviously a story of, of persistence. And, and when you look at a lot of these stories, I mean, you, you see that as a as a common theme. My challenge in writing the book is that, okay, well, you can't have every chapter. If there are 52 stories, it's like, guess what? The, the lesson is persistence because these folks all fought their way through some adversity or another. But I think her selfless desire to serve was a cool thing. And the lesson is, if you're a leader, how, how would those people in your organization rate your fairness and consistency when evaluating performance? And the question is, do you play favorites? Mary Edwards Walker had to overcome stereotypes, favoritism, double standards, and yet she persevered and triumphed. That's good. Thank you. So then that's one key theme that weaves through the book, how leaders decide. Any other kind of main messages that you'd like to emphasize? Well, yes, I think that what you'll read in this book, many people say, look, I, I knew about the story of the Titanic, or I knew about Winston Churchill, or whatever the case may be. It's, it's really, it's the story behind the story that people find interesting. I think the main message is, is that leaders are, are in the decision-making business. And all of these people, some of these were reluctant leaders. Some of them j just found themselves at a time and place where their integrity was confronted, their values were challenged. And what you see in, in the book is, is that essentially 
these people made the decisions that they made because, number one, they were grounded in, in a very firm belief of understanding where they stood on issues and, and matters of integrity. And, and the other is that they also knew very clearly what it is that they wanted. Okay, that's good. Well, so then I'd love it maybe if we could jump into another one of what you think is perhaps the most illustrative story out of your 52 collection that really is eye-opening and transformational for you know, the typical corporate professional who wants to just make better decisions. Well, I got a question at a book signing event. What chapter would you recommend that your daughter read? <laughs> and I said, well, I let her read the whole book and let her make her own decision. And when pressed for it, I actually picked uh, another female that I had profiled, Marie Curie. And, and I picked Marie Curie, because I think that the transformational aspect or the, the applicability to today's leader, whether they're a, an aspiring leader or a seasoned leader, is that Marie Curie was raised in an environment where learning and improvement was strongly encouraged. I mean, ultimately, her family despite severe hardship growing up in Russia-controlled Poland, raised a teacher, two doctors, and a Nobel laureate. And I mean, that really speaks to the kind of environment where leaders perform well in. I think the other piece that's transformational is that uh, when she married Pierre Curie, Pierre came to the conclusion that Marie's work was actually more applicable and more important than the work that he was doing. And so he was willing to set aside his work and become Marie's partner. And so if you think about that, if you're a leader, I, I think that one of the ways that you're encouraged as a leader is to be a part of a team that supports one another. And certainly Marie Curie had that in the form of her husband, where again, in a traditional role of typically males being the dominant force in a, in a relationship, Pierre recognized Marie's capability and was willing to essentially take a back seat. And I think that in today's environment, having that kind of support and encouragement from your peers, your supervisor, whatever, can really cultivate and bring out the best in today's leaders. Yeah, that's handy, certainly. So that humility and knowing when, okay, I'm going to take a back seat and, and support them. And, and that's a, a winning move. Certainly, that's a great takeaway for many environments. So I, I guess I'd love to hear in terms of, you got 52 stories in here. We've talked about a couple right up front. You know, of all the suggestions that you have unearthed from these tales when it comes to improving decision making, what do you think is the practice or approach that can offer, you know, the greatest bang for your buck, if you will, like the most uh, decision quality boost per hour or, or unit of effort? Well, I think that it starts with, I mean, what I've called seven behaviors that distinguish decisive leaders. And so one of those is believing deeply. So there's a chapter about Walt Disney and his brother, Roy, has a quote, it's not hard to make decisions when you know what your values are. And, and I think that speaks loudly today. If you know what your values are, the decision should be easy. You may not like the answer, 
but the answer will be clear. So believing deeply is the first of those behaviors. Secondly, confronting reality openly. We looked at uh, JFK and, and 18 months before the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is the event that's profiled in the book, was the disastrous Bay of Pigs invasion. And in hindsight, Kennedy realized that he had not opened up the discussion more broadly. Uh, people had been pigeonholed in their thinking, and there was a lot of peer pressure to let the conventional wisdom of the CIA take its course. And, and what happened was that it ended in disaster. And so when the Cuban Missile Crisis came around, Kennedy said, look, I'm learning from those mistakes. We're going to bring in lots of people. We're going to get fresh ideas. We're going to bring in outside experts. He even decided, I'm going to leave the room sometimes because I know that I can have an influence on people needing to say what needs to be said. And, and he asked a lot of questions. And those questions were all aimed at confronting reality, facing the facts. Uh, there's a need to cultivate curiosity, and we talk about 3M and, and William McKnight and the culture that he instilled inside of 3M to, to, to make 3M one of the most innovative companies in the world. There's a notion of engaging meaningfully, and we look at the Apollo 13 crash and how these guys on the ground had to solve a problem 250,000 miles out in space with only the materials they had, and, and they had to bring everyone together under the crunch of time to do that. There's an element of deciding speedily and then the need to adapt proactively. So all of those things way into it. I think it really goes back to knowing what you want. In my talk with the executives that I work with, what ultimately comes from these discussions is that it's not as hard to achieve what it is that you want. What's harder than achieving what you want is knowing what you want. And so I think that before you can make decisions, again, I come back to those two things. You've got to know what your values are and you've got to know what you want. And I think pound for pound, that's how you get through to get more of what you want and how you make better decisions. Understood. It's great. Let's talk about that. How does one get to know what they want? And I, I imagine the true depth of what you want is often not what leaps to mind at the, off the surface. Well, you're exactly right, Pete. I've actually got a form on my website that your listeners can download for free. It's called the seven F's as in F is in Frank, and it's the mind is a funny thing. Sometimes we need to let it roam freely. Other times when you let it roam so freely, you're just overwhelmed by the number of choices. And so what this 7Fs document does is it really forces people to say, okay, when you think about your friends, what do you want when it comes to your friends? When you think about financial, what does it look like when you talk about financial? When you think about your fitness, what does that really mean? When you start putting some definition around those things, fun is one of the Fs, right? When you talk about fun, what does that look like? And so when you start compartmentalizing these aspects of your life, it really allows you to get more specific about deciding what it is that you want. My dad had a phrase that I loved. I mean, I was talking to him one day. It was after I had started my own business. And frankly, I wasn't very happy. I mean, my name is on the door. I've got all these people working for me and I'm making a lot of money. <laughs> I am not happy. And he said, look, do what you love with people you love at a place that you love. 
And what I realized is that what I was doing was, it's like, okay, on the surface, it all looked good, but it wasn't very fulfilling for me and it wasn't very gratifying for me. And I asked him, I said, well, what about the money? And he said, well, the money will come. And he was right. And I think a lot of times we need to, maybe we need a setback or maybe we need a shock or maybe we just need, you know, take the time to reflect. I was talking with an executive just a couple of days ago and he said, you know, the job that I'm in, I'm not sure. I've trained all my life for this job, but I'm not sure that this is what I want. And I said, what do you think you want? He said, well, I'm not sure. And I said, well, I would keep doing what you're doing and doing it the best that you can. And I I do believe that over time, something will reveal itself to you. Just to be clear, I don't think that you can say, okay, I'm going to chuck everything that I'm doing and go off on some wild hair. But I think that you need to be in tune as to whether or not the amount of time that you're putting in at the workplace is creating the kind of fulfillment that is worth the trade-off of spending time away perhaps from your family or a hobby or just relaxing or the ability to even take a vacation. Again, I've got this document that's designed to at least become a catalyst to get people to pause and reflect. That's really how the book is served up. It's not really a do these five things and you'll make better decisions, but rather here are some historic events that changed the world's trajectory. And here are some questions around each of those events that give you the opportunity to pause and reflect and think about how that applies in your life today. I dig that. Well, so then when it comes to your own decision making, I'd love to get your view. So I guess you've, you've laid out so your core values and what you're after in these F's. And so then can you share what are some of these values and things that you want and, and a decision that you approached recently that flowed from that. Well, that's great. You're making me eat my own dog food, and I, love, I yeah. love it. I run these uh, chief executive groups for small and mid-sized uh, organizations. The smallest is uh, probably $10 million in, in revenue a year, 25 employees. The largest is multi-billion with employees all over the country, in some cases uh, outside the U.S. And in one of these groups, I had a couple of these CEOs that were exhibiting what I would call bad behavior, and I knew it. I tolerated it for longer than I should, and, and really the tough decision that I made ultimately was this is not fun for me. These guys don't share my values. My values are about helping people grow and learn and develop and improve. And, and these couple of guys were not sharing in that. And they were pretty disruptive in the meeting. And we would get together once a month. And we're talking about 14, 15 people around a table. And finally, I just said, look, I've, I've had enough. And I talked to them about it. And I talked to several people. I talked to my wife about it. I, I talked to a couple of other folks that I trust. And uh, the answer was consistent. It's like, well, you've got to do what you already know you need to do. You just need to do it. And what I was afraid of was that they would leave and it would put the rest of the group at risk because I knew that three or four people would leave the group. And uh, finally, I just said, look, that's it. I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. And, and that's actually a quote that I have from Amelia Earhart, the most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity, <laughs> right? And so mm -hmm. I knew what I needed to do. And I had a conversation with these two CEOs 
and they left the group and four of their friends went with them. And I thought, okay, this is it. That was about a year and a half ago. I've rebuilt the group. Everybody's there for the right reason. Uh, I've never been happier. The people who were there are all bought in on, on what we're trying to do. But it was a moment of truth. And I think that when you look at some of these decisions, sometimes what happens is you make the decision when the pain of doing nothing is greater than the pain of doing something, right? So in my case, it's like, look, I could keep doing this and keep kicking the can down the road, but I was not looking forward to those meetings. I could tell that there were other folks around the table who were not happy with that behavior. And if I didn't do something, then I might lose the entire group. As it was, I lost oh, I yeah. lost half the group and we're better today for it. And so I think that one of the things about decision making is that doing nothing is a decision to not act. And so that was mm -hmm. the decision that I was choosing to make. And so finally, I just said, okay, I know what I need to do. And I'd rather just do something and see what happens as opposed to continuing this and not having a productive experience. I hear you. Well, not that we need all the lurid details, but I think it would be helpful if we had just a little bit of a sense for what do we mean by bad behavior? So there were two or three things. So there was a lot of judging that was going on with some of the folks. And so this idea is that you're coming in here, you're all from non-competitive businesses and the idea is that you can share openly because, look, everybody generally, when it gets down to it, is talking about the same thing. You're talking about customer issues. You're talking about employee issues. You're talking about money issues. And you're trying to make your business perform at a higher level. And people would come in and, and open up and somebody would just kick the heck out of them. And it's like, look, that's not really – it takes some level of courage to open up your heart and say, look, I'm scared or I'm screwing up or I'm not sure or whatever. And these guys would go, oh, you know, well, that's easy or whatever. There was also the idea that when you looked at their business, they weren't really moving forward. And so the, it was really, hey, let's come in, let's have some yucks, let's talk tough, and then let's figure out where we're going to go afterwards for cocktails. And it's like, look, that's fine to do that. But really, our purpose here is to help each other get better. And so there were just some things like that that were counter to the, the kinds of values that, that I was looking at, which is, look, let's be authentic, let's be honest, let's be supportive, and let's be all in on this, because the money is the least of what these guys are paying. These guys are giving up, I say guys, guys and gals, are giving up a day out of their life, and they'll never get that time back. So it's up to me to make sure that we're making the best use of that time. And so it just seemed like we weren't making the best use of that time, and it was becoming evident to some of the other folks in the group that these sessions are starting to look like a waste of time for me. So anyway, those are some of the things that it's. you just say, okay, I'm sort of backed into a corner. And some of these events just happened to ordinary people, like the first female senator of the United States got the job because her husband died. But she made the decision, and the decision that was it's profiled in the book was she made the decision to run again. Nobody believed that she would run again. Hattie Carraway is the first woman to be elected a U.S. senator. So I think there's a lot of instances where people were just living ordinary lives, and then an opportunity came their way, and they had the opportunity to step up and do the right thing. And that's what really distinguishes uh, a lot of these decisions. 
Oh yeah, that's good stuff. I'm a sucker for stories, aren't we? The human condition. <laughs> and so you, you you wisely put together 52 of them as opposed to a list of cognitive biases uh, and the scientific research for them, which would make a good book for me. I'd like that one too. <laughs> well, you can write it, Pete. <laughs> I have a poster of cognitive biases in my home office, fun fact. Anyway, so you shared the feedback like, hey, this is what I'm seeing with regard to, you know, how the meetings are going and how you're behaving and and the implications of it. And they just sort of stormed off. They're like, well, I never, Greg. No, I just, no, 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 no. I I don't think people like ultimatums. Oh, right, right. I think they like options. Sometimes you need an ultimatum. And what what I said to these folks is, look, you clearly joined for a reason. I, I just want to make sure that we realign on what that reason was. Here's what I've been seeing. I think you've got a great heart. You've built a successful business. The behavior that I'm seeing is A, B, C, and D. And if that kind of behavior continues, I don't think this is a great fit. If you want to modify that behavior and be the kind of person that you were when you joined the group, then that's a cool thing. And they basically said, okay, uh, I've thought about it, and I don't really want to modify my behavior. And it's like, well, that's cool because we're all about modifying behavior so that we can improve. Yeah, okay. That's cool. All right. Well, so thanks for taking us there into that tale. And and so there you go. Because you are clear on those values about learning growth development and you were noticing the reality around you in terms of this is starting to be not fun (laughs) and not enjoyable and not helpful, you went there. So that's cool. Are there any key tips, prompts, questions, scripts, things that are kind of little go-to tips and tricks that you use or recommend to help folks make great decisions consistently? Well, I I think that you have to, I mean, to be very practical, I think that you've got to get into a rhythm or a cadence or a habit. And I think that one of the best ways of doing that is to be very clear on goals. I'm a big goal person, whether it's weekly goals or monthly goals, quarterly goals, annual goals. And I'm talking personally as well as uh, at an enterprise level. I think that the people that are successful are driven by something and they are driven toward something. And I think that from a practical standpoint, the best way to do that is, hey, make a list, block time on your calendar, get some people around you that you trust who may actually uh, think different than you uh, or think differently than you so that you can bounce things off of them. I think that being clear on, on what you stand for, being clear on what you're after, and then having these very specific mile markers in the road that show, hey, I'm making some progress toward this, because all of those involve decision-making. It, it involves, okay, do I do this or do I do this? Is it a trade-off? Is it a priority? Do I have the time for this? Do we have the money for this? What, whatever the case may be. And I think that when you have that clear picture, you're willing to give up things or make sacrifices in order to get that. So I think the best decisions that I make are driven around having, again, a set of values and a set of goals that you are driving toward. And I think that one of the best ways to create a new habit is to make a list. I think that is a very powerful way of doing that. I use goal boards with just sticky notes at the at the end of every year, and I take my group's Through this, it's like, think about the things that are important to you. When you picture success and why you're doing what you're doing, what is it that you're doing that is going to cause you to be fulfilled? Well, write those words down. Be very specific about the type of fulfillment that you're looking for. Now write down the categories 
that you need to work against in order to make your life fulfilling. And then you put little sticky notes under that. And people love that. They're like, we present them at the end of every year. I check up on them monthly and they're like, hey, check that off. I've got a new sticky note now. And whether it's take a vacation or be at home three nights a week to have dinner with the kids or whatever it is, make it real and make it visible. And do you have any quick tips when it comes to cognitive bias, how to fight that well? Well, I think the way you fight it well, as I've already alluded to, is you got to have people around you that you trust and respect that, that are willing to say, look, there's a blind spot, or I don't think you're seeing the whole picture, or I think that here's another point of view that maybe you haven't considered. That's what these groups that I lead are all about. And it's it's about people whose only agenda is to see the other person in the group succeed. So there's no commercial gain for that. And the way around the cognitive bias to miss something is, is to have other people around that can look at things differently. I mean, our, our subconscious plays tricks on us, right, as I'm sure you know, and that's what optical illusions are all about. It's not that the eye doesn't see it, it's that the brain doesn't get it, right? And so we need to have other people around us that we trust and respect to point out those blind spots and to say, well, maybe there's another way of looking at this that you've not considered. And I think that when you do that, that can help at least mitigate some of the biases that we have to make decisions that aren't always in our best interest. Well, thank you. Well, Greg, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. Well, uh, these are my favorite things because I love what I do. I would invite your readers to go to my website. There are five lost chapters, as you might imagine, with all these different historical events. I couldn't fit them all in. And there are five lost chapters that are fully baked yet didn't make it into the book. And your listeners can go to my website and download those for free. And then if they're interested in wanting a little bit more, then they can uh, spring for the book. All right. Perfect. Well, now can you share with us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? Well, I already told you the one about my dad. The other one that I think really describes my work ethic is uh, from J. Paul Getty, which I'm sure you've heard, rise early, work hard, strike oil. (laughs) It's like, no, (laughs) no excuses. It's like, get up, (laughs) work hard and make things happen. And uh, I'm very results driven. I'm very goal oriented. And that's uh, that's a favorite quote for me. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? Well, I just, (laughs) I'm taking a break from research because I just spent all, I spent about a year researching this book. I am rereading a book where the centerpiece is an essay by Peter Drucker, and it's the title of the book called On Managing Yourself. It's one of uh, Harvard Business Review's 10 must-read books. And uh, it's just a, a great reminder of some really practical wisdom by some of our greatest thinkers. And the, the leadoff hitter is uh, is Peter Drucker. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Well, the tool that I use, I mentioned, it's the goal board. I believe in that. I mean, I'm a big accountability guy. And in the research that I did on accountability, which is my previous book, is that accountability is not a bad thing. It's actually a support system for winners. One of the reasons where accountability breaks down or one of the places where accountability breaks down is the failure to make performance visible. And so I believe that being able to visualize very specifically, this is where I want to go. These are the things that I'm going to do to get it. And then to be able to literally either take off the sticky note and put a new one up or check it off or do it on your computer. That to me is very, 
very fulfilling and ultimately I'm driving toward something bigger than just a list. I mean, I had a list of the 52 chapters and I I blew it up in a four foot by six foot poster and I would check off each chapter as I wrote it. And that was very inspiring to me to say, okay, I've gotten another one down and I've only got this much further to go. So I use a lot of visual tools both in my computer and uh, mounted behind my door in my office so that when I close the door, there it is and I can see how I'm doing. Awesome. And and tell me, is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with readers, listeners, fans? Well, I, I think the nugget is when it's time to decide, it's time to decide. Things that must be done eventually must be done immediately. And so when you are not deciding, you are effectively making a decision to do nothing. And so I think that I told you the story about that. And I did nothing for for many, many months until I finally had to pull the trigger. And so I think the idea is, again, when you know what you want, the decision should be easy. The decision was easy for me. I just didn't want to do it. And then finally I did it. And of course, I felt better. And if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? I'd point them to uh, my website, uh, www.buston, B is in boy, U-S-T-I-N.com. Buston.com. There's all kinds of free tools, like the one I, I mentioned, blogs, exercises. The five lost chapters from my book uh, are there as well and um, would love for uh, folks to visit. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Yeah, the final call to action is everybody's got a decision they need to make. And my question really, or my challenge would be in the form of a question, which is what's the significant decision you must make in the next 60 days? And what do you need to do in order to make that decision? And who can you call on for support to propel you into making that decision. Again, most of the big decisions, it's not as simple as yes or no. Sometimes it is, but it's not as simple as yes or no, or this or that, or black and white. Oftentimes there may seem, at least on the surface, a lot of gray. And and so having someone that you trust to bounce that off of, whether it's a mentor or a coach or a friend or a spouse or a partner is a good thing. Awesome. Well, Greg, this has been a lot of fun. I know you're taking a break from executives right now to talk to us. So I appreciate that. You've got a cocktail hour calling <laughs> and I, I wouldn't want you to miss any more minutes of that. It's been a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure they're starting without <laughs> me, Pete, but that's cool. I've loved our time together and I really appreciate you uh, having me on. I really dug this chat with Greg and particularly I'm also digging the audio version of his book, How Leaders Decide, because it's just that right fit in terms of, okay, we've got a story, but we've also got a lesson and it's not too prescriptive. So it's a good thing to maybe listen to as you're falling asleep, as opposed to exposing yourself to blue light. So that's cool. I think my favorite takeaway from this particular conversation was about making performance visible and how when you do that, it is potent in terms of you and accountability effect. It reminds me of Bain in which we had all of the case team scores, surveys of sort of everyone talking about how they're enjoying their experience and whether they find it sustainable or they're working insane hours and can't freaking stand it anymore. That sort of thing was being shared in the 
kitchen. So everyone could take a look at that and see, uh oh, who's that manager? Who's that partner? That sounds insane. Maybe I don't want to work for them. So it gave them a little bit of an incentive to keep things under control. And it's great for your personal motivation as well. I'm thinking about Jerry Seinfeld, write jokes every day. And he checked off on the calendar where it went down. Also thinking about Benjamin Franklin with his virtues and trying to keep a good chain or minimal use of black marks, indicating that he failed to deliver on those virtues. Cool ways to make performance visible. And that just naturally inspires and gives you a great tug of, of motivation and or accountability if you're sharing it with other folks. So good stuff from Greg. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are on over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F432. If you haven't already, I hope you'll punch subscribe. You'll hear from a next guest. Pretty cool dude, Tom Ziegler. Tom is accomplished in his own right, but he's also the son of the legendary Zig Ziglar, which has a special part of my origin story when it comes to personal development and that stuff. He's talking about choosing to win and great habits and the fastest pathway to success and progress. It's a fun chat. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers. Subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.